0: Objections Overruled 1 and 2 audiobooks are produced by Lutheran Public Radio and are made possible with support from listeners like you. You can contribute to the production of future audiobooks at issuesetc.org support. Look for Objections Overruled 3 in December of 2023. God Condoned War and Killing in the Old Testament. Kirk M. Clayton. Humans built suffering and death into themselves when they rebelled against God and sinned. Since suffering and death are inextricable from sinful humans, God's plan to save humanity involved suffering and death. God used death and violence in the Old Testament sparingly and in a way that counterbalanced people's desperate need for salvation. God's plan to save humanity was anchored in His becoming human Himself, "'dying himself and sharing his resurrection "'with everyone who believes that he has done these things.' "'The words hit Garrett with crushing force. "'I'm sorry,' the doctor said. "'You have cancer, leukemia to be specific.' "'Garrett, an athletic 18-year-old, "'sat with his parents in stunned silence "'in the doctor's office. "'This was his senior year of high school. "'Everything was supposed to be different. "'College applications, sports tournaments,' Prom, graduation, but now everything changed. Cancer, leukemia, possibly terminal. From that moment of diagnosis onward, the focus and goal of Garrett's life was to survive, to live. The doctor's purpose was to make a plan to keep Garrett alive and bring healing. The words can hit us with crushing force, the soul who sins shall die. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 4. The idea that God demands death, especially through the war and killing that seems so prominent in the Old Testament, can be difficult to comprehend. God commands in Deuteronomy chapter 20 verses 16 to 17a, "...in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction." In the conquest of the promised land Joshua fulfilled this command After Joshua captured the city of Hazor and those allied with Hazor's king we read and all the cities of those kings and all their kings Joshua captured and struck them with the edge of the sword devoting them to destruction just as Moses the servant of the Lord had commanded Joshua chapter 11 verse 12 Christians often sit in stunned silence when we hear words like these Our non-Christian friends, in contrast, mock Christianity and question the morality of our God. It seems like everything should be different. We think God should always look gentle and loving. God, however, is not bound by our opinions of how He should act. Like Garrett's doctor, God has a purpose and a plan, and His desire is for the good of His people. God's plan is to bring them healing and everlasting life. In the months following the leukemia diagnosis, Garrett's doctor would have to say and do things that were difficult, even painful. If Garrett did not have cancer, the treatments he needed would be seen as cruel. Early in the process, the doctor told him, only half-joking, I'm going to have to almost kill you to cure you. We will come close to killing you, but we just hope we kill your cancer a little sooner than you would die. Then we can save you. That's the plan. God, like Garrett's doctor, says and does things that are difficult, even painful, in order to save His people. Bringing life involves lots of death and, ultimately, incredibly profound death. For this to make sense, we need to understand that the Bible is the story of God working salvation for His people. All of Scripture, including the Old Testament, points to the ultimate death, Jesus' saving and sacrificial death on the cross. Without the cross, nothing makes sense. With the cross in view, however, we see all of the Old Testament preparing the way for God's ultimate work of salvation. God's plan is not to kill, but to save. Garrett's doctor laid out a treatment plan. It included both chemotherapy and radiation and would culminate in a stem cell transplant. Leading up to the transplant, Garrett's immune system would need to be totally destroyed crippling his resistance to infection. During this process, any germ could lead to an incurable illness since Garrett's body would not be able to fight it off. Garrett's environment had to be sterile. He would have to be isolated in the hospital, receiving only designated visitors. The treatments would bring extreme nausea, loss of hair, weakness, painful injections and many other unpleasant side effects. But for Garrett's life to be saved, these were all necessary parts of the treatment. After Adam and Eve fell into sin, God laid out a plan of salvation for his dying people. How do the Old Testament commands to kill men, women, and children of non-Israelite tribes work into this plan? In this plan, we see God breaking and hindering every evil plan and purpose that would not let his kingdom come. The very day of the fall into sin, God promised to send a Savior. This Savior would be the offspring of Eve from Abraham's loins of the tribe of Judah, a descendant of David. He would be for all, but from these. In order for the Savior to come for all, these ancestors of the Savior needed to be preserved in safety and faithfulness. God ordered the death of pagan nations in the Old Testament to preserve the purity of his people so that through them he could send the Savior. God was using death to bring life. There were times during his leukemia treatments that Garrett was not happy with his doctor. Garrett was in pain, irritable and nauseous because of the treatments his doctor ordered. However. Garrett realized that his doctor was not the cause of his cancer. In fact, the doctor was working for his good. Garrett learned to trust his doctor in a way that he trusted nobody else. The painful procedures and side effects were not his doctor's fault. They were necessary to beat back Garrett's cancer. Blaming the doctor for side effects would make no sense. In fact, Garrett knew that his doctor was the person who was doing the most to help him. He was completely focused on bringing a cure to Garrett. Violence in the Bible can make us uncomfortable with God's commands. Stories of warfare and destruction in the Old Testament may even make us angry with God. For our unbelieving friends, this may extend to hatred of God. We need to remember, however, that death is not God's fault ever. All death is man's fault. The wages of sin is death, Romans chapter 6 verse 23. God does not sin, man does. This means man's death is his own fault, not God's. That is true of all death, including car accidents, murder, war in the Old Testament, and cancer at the age of 18. During the occupation of the promised land under Joshua, God commanded his people to destroy cities. Men, women, children, sheep, cattle, and all that breathed were to be devoted to utter destruction. This needs to be seen in two ways. First, every sinner will die, and that is not God's fault. That is the result of sin. Death through warfare in the Old Testament is no exception. Second, God used the destruction of pagan, idolatrous, wicked peoples inhabiting the Promised Land to preserve the purity of His people. This served the ultimate plan of bringing forth a Savior from His people for all people. Death is not God's fault, it is the result of sin. God is the only one working to do anything good about it. This does not mean that death itself is a good thing. Far from it. To say that God can use evil, death, to bring about good, life, does not mean that death is good. It certainly does not mean that the church or Christians today can claim the right to make decisions about life and death arbitrarily, either personally, through means like abortion, suicide, or murder, or corporately, as in crusades or holy wars. This would be as nonsensical as saying that Garrett's school bus driver, instead of his doctor, should determine his course of treatment. God authorizes some people to govern life and death issues. According to Romans chapter 13, those people do not bear the sword in vain. God, however, is not the equivalent of Garrett's school bus driver. He is analogous to the doctor. Blaming God for the negative effects of sin would make no sense. In fact, we need to realize that God is the one person who is helping the situation, He was completely focused throughout the Old Testament on bringing a savior to the lost, dying world. Throughout his leukemia treatments, Garrett looked forward to seeing his father. His dad loved to visit and spent several hours at the hospital with his son every day. However, one day when Garrett's immune system was almost at zero, his dad ran a fever. The doctor said that he must not visit until his fever was gone and there was no chance of infecting his son. Any infection would likely kill Garrett. He needed an absolutely sterile environment to survive. Garrett missed his dad's visits terribly. Those were dark, lonely days. When Garrett's dad ran a fever, his mom did not. She had maintained very careful hand washing and sanitation at home, and the doctor still allowed her to visit. He did, however, require that she undergo a careful washing routine at the hospital and wear a hospital-supplied gown, mask, and gloves to enter Garrett's room. Garrett's doctor guarded his health and environment in the least restrictive way possible while still protecting his patient from anything that could kill him. The enforced environment of purity was not pleasant, but Garrett's doctor was doing what was best for him. Like Garrett's doctor, God used the least restrictive and violent means possible to protect the purity of his people in the promised land. In fact, the famous kill and destroy passage from Deuteronomy chapter 20 shows this. In the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 to 17a. This instruction was only for the cities where the Israelites would live. For cities farther away, there was a less deadly command. God said, When you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it, and if it responds to you peaceably and it opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall do forced labor for you and shall serve you. But if it makes no peace with you but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. And when the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall put all its males to the sword. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 10 through 13. A peace treaty was to be offered first. If the city accepted the offered peace, nobody would be put to the sword. If the peace was rejected, then men, combatants, would be killed, but women and children, non-combatants, would be spared. It is likely that a similar scenario was also intended in the cities to be inhabited by Israelites in the more violent passages of Deuteronomy chapter 20 verses 16 to 17. The main difference was whether terms of peace were officially offered before the city was approached. Nearby cities were not to be offered treaties of peace. They were to be destroyed. However, even then the killing was generally limited to those in the cities. What happens when civilians see an army approaching their city? They flee. Why would this not have been the case in the cities the Israelites were told to devote to destruction? Yes, women and children in the city would have been killed. But in practice, women and children were unlikely to remain in a city facing attack. They would be evacuated and spared. We see hints of this in the conquest of the Promised Land. In the battle to protect Gibeon, we read, When Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out, and when the remnant that remained of them had entered into the fortified cities, then all the people returned safe to Joshua in the camp at Makeda, Joshua chapter 10, verses 20 to 21. In the same verse, the opposing army was wiped out, but a remnant that remained fled, Could it be that what is described here is that army combatants were completely destroyed, but non-combatants, women and children, fled and were spared? Quite possibly. Yes, the warfare texts in the Old Testament seem brutal, but there are indications that God used minimal force and the least destructive means to protect the purity of his people. Garrett made it through the difficult days without his father, survived the destruction of his immune system and underwent the stem cell transplant that was the goal of his treatment. Gradually, his tests began to show improvement. One much-anticipated day, Garrett's doctor came to his room with an exuberant message. I have good news, the doctor said. The scans are completely clear. Your cancer is in remission. Your prognosis for a long and healthy life is excellent. It had been a long, painful process, But the words brought Garrett great hope and joy. The doctor had done his job. It hadn't been easy, but Garrett was healed. The doctor had kept Garrett alive and brought him healing. The doctor was good. God's Old Testament people faced many painful situations. They were at war with the nations around them. They continually struggled to maintain their purity amid the corrupting influence of their idol-worshipping neighbors. They were deported to Babylon, from which only a remnant returned. However, from that faithful remnant, a Savior was born. God's wrath had only been glimpsed in the command to destroy Canaanite tribes. On the darkest day of all, God poured out the fullness of His wrath on His own Son, hanging in agony on a cross. Then, three days later, Worried women heard wonderful words at an empty tomb. He is not here. He has risen. Death had been destroyed. Life had won. It has been a long, painful process, but the words bring us great hope and joy. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. The wages of sin is death, and our sins were as scarlet, But after we are washed with the blood of Jesus Christ, our scans come back completely clean. We are forgiven and pure. In preserving a faithful remnant throughout the Old Testament, culminating in Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross and resurrection, God has brought eternal life and salvation to His people. The process was not without pain, suffering, or death. In fact, the plan of salvation required the death of God's only begotten Son. But through it all, God succeeded in bringing life from death and bestowing salvation on his people. God is good. The author wishes to thank Dr. John Work Montgomery for the insight that God is not the cause of death, that it is unfair to blame him for it, and that he is, in fact, the only one working to undo it. This has been invaluable in the development of this chapter. This concludes... Objections Overruled, Answering Arguments Against Christianity, edited by Jeffrey Schwartz, narrated by Bob Sauer. Originally published as Objections Overruled, Answering Arguments Against Christianity, edited by Jeffrey Schwartz, by Lutheran Public Radio. Text and audiobook production copyright 2020 by Lutheran Public Radio. All rights reserved. For more information, visit issuesetc.org.